Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Before we get into it, let me tell you about something fun that's coming up. On Friday, December 2nd, we are having our annual Christmas tree lighting, which is just a super fun night of games and lots of food and music, and we're going to light up the tree out front, and you're thinking, it's only October. Why is he talking to us about this? Because when we imagine Christmas tree lighting, when we think about that night, we consider this an event not really for us, for our church family, but for our community, we wanna have a really fun thing. Our community, we welcome lots of people onto our campus and we wanna show them a really good time. And I'm telling you about it because the truth is it doesn't happen without you. Without you and me and lots of people serving, we can't make this a great event and we really want it to be fun for our community. So here's our ask, is if you would jump on our website at some point this week and you would look at ways that you could get plugged in, ways that you could serve to make a great Christmas tree lighting. There's tons of ways. There's ways that night that you can serve. There's even ways that you can serve leading up to the event. In fact, one of the ways that you can serve is you can bake cookies. I mean, you can bake cookies, right? That's cool. Someone told me we need 15,000 cookies. Like, I don't know what we're doing at the Christmas tree lighting, but it sounds like a good time. 15,000 cookies. So maybe you want to serve that way, but go on our website and get more information about how you can get connected and let's make it a great event for our community. If you got a Bible with you, we're in Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, and I want to take you to the ancient city of Ephesus where the good news of Jesus that he died and rose again is starting to catch and people are starting to follow this Jesus guy. The problem though is that Ephesus is built around the temple of a Greek goddess named Artemis. Her temple is right there in the middle of the city and people from all over the world travel to Ephesus just to worship her. They come so that they can pay homage to her, they can pay tribute to give offerings and gifts and to worship her. And it's this temple and the people traveling there that have made Ephesus a great city. And so you can imagine as people start to follow Jesus and they're no longer worshiping Greek gods and goddesses, this creates a little bit of a tension because most of the residents in Ephesus make their living around the temple or in some way supporting the temple or hospitality for people who come to town. This is how they feed their kids. And so as the kingdom of God starts to creep into people's lives and people are starting to realize this isn't just some fad sort of new religion, but the kingdom of God is actually transforming people's lives. It starts to disrupt the status quo and the way of life there in Ephesus. And I want to look at this story today and I want us to consider what would it look like if the kingdom of God took over our city? What would it look like if the kingdom of God reigned in our community, like it did in Ephesus, if the kingdom of God crept into our city? And then we can sort of go into that a little bit deeper and talk about what would it look like if the kingdom of God ruled your workplace and your neighborhood and your home and even your individual life? So we'll get to all those questions. I want to catch up with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19, where he's going to tell us this story. We're going to watch this story unfold. Kind of crazy event. Here's, what, here's how it goes. Verse 23. Here's what it says. About that time, 
it says, there arose a great disturbance about the way. What is the way? It says the word way, capital W. There arose a great disturbance about the way. The way is just Christianity. In the first century, Jesus followers called themselves followers of the way. Now, why would they call themselves followers of the way? Because remember, in John, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. People heard that, and so they're saying, we're following the way. Call themselves followers of the way. And so apparently there is some disturbance, there's some disruption that has to do with the way. It has to do with Christianity. It says a silversmith, verse 24, a silversmith named Demetrius, he made silver shrines of Artemis. He brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen in Ephesus. But he called them together along with the workers in the related trades, and he said, you know, my friends, we receive a pretty good income from this business but you see and you hear this fellow Paul, and he's convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are not gods at all. So there's danger, not only to our trade and that it will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who's worshiped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. So what's going on here? You've got this guy, Demetrius. He makes statues of Artemis and people from all over the world, they come and they buy these statues. They buy them and, and, and then he pays money to the temple. It's how they offer their sacrifice, their worship. Sometimes they'll give the statue back to the temple, where they'll sell it and they'll get the money, they'll take it home with them. So he makes all this, all this Artemis, the, the idols. He's got like an Artemis gift shop. There's all kinds of merch, right? There's like Artemis hoodies and coffee mugs. He makes all this stuff and he's loaded from it. He's getting stinking rich because he makes all of these Artemis statues. And what happens is the apostle Paul comes to town and apparently he's telling everyone about Jesus and people are listening and they're starting to become Followers, they're becoming followers of the way, which means they're not buying Artemis statues anymore because they're following Jesus. They're not worshiping Artemis, and so they don't need to buy all these Artemis goods as a sacrifice to the temple. And so Demetrius goes, well, it can't just be me. Kind of looks around and goes, there's all these other craftsmen around town. So he pulls them all together. And he says, you know, guys, sales are way down. Like my business is hurting. Tell me what you're seeing. And they go, yeah, us too. Sales are way down. And so they all start talking about what might be going on. And they're like, it's this guy, Paul. They're all ticked at Paul. And of course, Jesus, because he's talking about the kingdom of God and it's costing Demetrius money. Now he sort of tries to hide behind the idea that he's like, I'm trying to protect Artemis and her greatness. He doesn't care about that. He cares about the money. This is affecting his bottom line. You go, well, wait a minute now. What can Paul be doing that's so bad? He's talking about Jesus. Cool. Isn't Jesus all about forgiveness and hope and peace and love? Like, how is anyone going to get mad about that? What is Paul doing that is ticking these guys off so bad? Well, if you go back just a few verses, we sort of find out more about what Paul is doing and what he's saying. Back in verse eight, it says that Paul entered the synagogues. He comes to Ephesus. He's been there for a few years and he entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months. Listen, arguing persuasively about the kingdom 
of God. This is the problem. This is the problem right here. The kingdom of God. This is what's making everyone so mad. Because Ephesus is the kingdom of Artemis. This is the kingdom of Roman rule. Oh, okay, you want to worship your little Jesus and you want to go to church on Sundays, cool, that's cute. But now you've crossed the line when you've said it's about the kingdom of God. Because when you have a kingdom, you have a what? You have a king. You have a ruler. Well, in Ephesus, Artemis rules. In Ephesus, Rome rules. Paul is saying what Jesus said, that Jesus coming into the world, he was bringing a new kingdom. And guess what? He's the king. Which means Artemis is not. And people are starting to follow this new king. They're starting to give their life to him, following the way. They're starting to call themselves residents, not of the kingdom of Rome, not of the kingdom of Ephesus or of Artemis, but the residents of the kingdom of God. You see why this is a problem. It disrupts everything. Because if Jesus is king, then Rome is not. Artemis is not. I mean, it might even push up against these guys because if Jesus is king, Demetrius is living in his little happy, comfortable world. All of a sudden he's like, well, if there's another king, that means I'm not king, right? And so it's disrupting everything. Starting to disrupt the way of life, the status quo in Ephesus. Are you with me? Verse 28. It says, when they heard this, the craftsmen, when they heard all this, they were furious and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul, he wanted to appear before the crowd, but his disciples wouldn't let him. Even some of the officials of the province, which were friends of Paul, they sent him a message and they begged him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some people were shouting one thing, some another. Listen, most of the people didn't even know why they were there. Can you picture it in your mind? The craftsmen start a riot. They're so mad, they gather up a mob of people and they start a riot. And like most riots, like most mobs, it's just sheer confusion. And in fact, it says that some people don't even know why they're there right? But it's happening. People are frantic. There is a frenzy. And it says, just to give you a little context, it says that they go into the theater. Now, why is, why is Luke giving us this little detail? There was a theater in Ephesus. Most of it is still standing today. It was incredible, right in the, city of, right in the, right in the middle of the city. And it sat 20,000 people at the time. So I think what Luke is doing here is he's trying to tell us that this riot, this mob was a big deal. It wasn't just like few dozen people or even hundreds, but probably thousands of people. They, they took the riot into the theater. And so you can imagine just the people filling up the seats and maybe they pulled Paul's traveling companions down here to the bottom and they're just yelling at them, just hurling insults. They're chanting, they're cheering, they're heckling. Maybe they're throwing things. It's just pandemonium. It's just this all out riot. Do you remember why it's happening? 
Because the kingdom of God has been preached. The kingdom of God is infiltrating people's lives. It's starting to take over life as they knew it in Ephesus. It's disrupting the natural rhythms of what's going on in the city. Let me finish the rest of the story, and then I want to ask you a question. Verse 33, the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. So they go, okay, let's put this Jewish leader up in front, and he'll be able to calm everybody down. He'll explain what's going on. Everything's going to be okay. We'll put him up front, and and this will all go away. That doesn't work. Verse 34 says, when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So again, it's just continued chaos, just hours of chanting and heckling, mob mentality. Verse 35, the city clerk quieted the crowd. Now they put another official up there. Okay, he's gonna calm everybody down. Fellow Ephesians, he says, doesn't all the world know the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven. Oh, I forgot to tell you, uh, a meteor fell out of the sky and these wackos are convinced that this is their goddess. This is Artemis. This is proof for them. See, this is our goddess, Artemis. And so this meteor falls out, so, out of the sky. And so they're not just at the temple, but they're worshiping a rock. And for them, they're like, this is what we have to hold on to. And everybody knows that the city clerk's like, everybody, everything's gonna be okay. Everybody just calm down. We've got the meteor. This is like a sign from heaven. All is gonna be good. And it ends in verse 41 where he says, after this, he had dismissed, uh, he dismissed the assembly. Crazy, chaotic. Again, why did it happen? Because the kingdom of God has started to make its mark on Ephesus. Kingdom of God disrupts the status quo. Now, I told you I have a question for you. Here it is. Could this happen again? Where the kingdom of God so reigns that communities, cultures, maybe even a country are changed. Could it happen again? Could, it, could this happen in our community? Or do you read this and you go, that's kind of a one-time deal. It happened. It, Paul was there. There's unique circumstances. Paul does some crazy things. There's lots of impressive stuff happening in the New Testament there in the, in, the, in the first century as the church is growing, the name of Christ is being proclaimed. But maybe that was for then. It was a one-time deal. Could this happen again? Think about that. And while you do, let me tell you another story. This one's not in the Bible. This is just something that happened in history. About 120 years ago, this happened in Europe. It's known as the Welsh Revival. And basically what happened is there was a guy who was a coal miner and he sensed from the Lord that he was supposed to start telling everyone about Jesus. Just everyone he saw, he's supposed to talk to them about Jesus. And so that's what he does. He starts telling people about Jesus and this kingdom of God. And sure enough, people are listening and churches start to fill up and an entire community of people is reshaped because of the kingdom of God. And there's stories from this time that that go that taverns, for example, they closed up shop because they had no customers. There was no more business. Police forces, police officers started showing up at the church services while they were on shift because there was no crimes. There was nothing else for them to do. So they're like, let's go to the church service. Courthouses closed down because there were no court cases. 
Because the kingdom of God had infiltrated people's lives. And it wasn't just that people went to church more. It was that they were actually being changed from the inside out. Hearts and minds and lives were actually being transformed. This is kind of a cool part of the story. Uh, this, this area where this happened was all about coal mining. And the coal miners had uh, to help them. They had ponies that they would take into the mines with them. And these, the ponies would pull out like wagons of coal. They would do some of the work for them. They were called pit ponies. And when the kingdom of God started to make an impact on this community, the ponies had to be retrained. Because prior to this, the only training they had was being beaten and being cursed at. But when the kingdom of God took hold in these coal miners' lives and they were changed, their hearts were changed, their minds were changed, their behavior, their mentality, it all started to shift. They didn't beat the animals anymore and they weren't cursing and they weren't always yelling and screaming at them. So they had to retrain the pit ponies so that they could be motivated by encouragement, not by being beaten. Isn't that cool? So can it happen again? Where the kingdom of God changes a country, changes a city. I mean, I know, I know in my head, I think about that question, I watch the story in Ephesus, and I go, yeah, that could happen. And yet, if I'm honest, there's something cynical in me that goes, you know, it could. But I look at the world, I see what's going on, I see corruption. I see systems of oppression. I see stuff that's happening that's going, I can't make sense of this. I don't know how to explain this. And there's a part of me that goes, yes, I know that the kingdom of God is the answer to these things. I know God is above all of that. But there's a part of me that goes, I don't know if anything's going to change. If in my life, I'm going to see something really change. But let's just imagine for a minute. Let's just even pretend for a minute that that could happen. What would that look like? if our city was ruled by the kingdom of God? What would that look like? If, if, if God reigned here in Allentown, how would that shape our community? Like what would, what would the impact be on homelessness? Would the kingdom of God change addiction? Would the kingdom of God provide solutions to the mental health crisis? How would, if the kingdom of God reigned, how would the foster care system be different in the Lehigh Valley? If God's people said part of what God has told us to do is care for orphans and open our homes and support people who, who will open their homes, would, if the kingdom of God really reigned, would the foster care system in the Lehigh Valley look different? If the kingdom of God reigned, would we need abortion clinics? If we actually valued life. And I'm not just talking about life of unborn children. I'm talking about the lives of young women who find themselves in situations where they don't feel like they have any other choice. Because if you're going to be pro-life, you actually have to be pro-life. Would our community look different if the kingdom of God reigned here? If the kingdom of God intersected with Allentown, what would that look like? I mean, you start to think about that. You actually start to get really excited you go, I want to live in a community like that. I mean, don't we? Isn't that, isn't that part of what we pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't this part of what we want to live in a city? It's transformed by the kingdom of God. And yet there's something, there's something in me that goes, even that is too hard for me to get my head around. Can I, can I really see a city change? It's hard for me to, to consider something that large. I go, I don't know if I really even have a seat at the table to impact that kind of widespread change. But what if for a minute we, we continue to think about the kingdom of God reigning, but we sort of drew back even smaller from that. So what started this whole thing in Ephesus? Because it didn't start with a riot. That's what sort of came out of it, but that's not where it started. How did it start? Well, if you go back earlier in this chapter, it actually tells us it started with a few individuals, 12 in fact. Paul talks to 12 men and he tells them about Jesus and about the kingdom of God. And guess what those 12 men did? They went home. And they told their neighbors, and they told their friends, and they told their family. And 12 became 13, and then 13 became 15, and 15 became 25, and 25 became 100. It started with individuals. It didn't start with a riot. It didn't start with massive sort of sweeping citywide cultural changes. It starts with a few individuals, one by one. So what if we, what if we thought about it like that? It's so easy to say, I want to change the world. I want to change the city. What if we drilled in? I don't know if there's going to be some great awakening in our city, some great revival in our city in, in my life, but what if we made it a more personal question? What if we asked something like, what if the kingdom of God reigned in your home? Oh, well, that's more manageable. Right? You hear all the time people go, I want to change the world. Okay, that's fine. Good. What if, what if for us we asked a more practical question? What if the kingdom of God reigned in your home? Like, is that possible? And what would it look like? What if the kingdom of God disrupted sort of the natural flow of things in your home and God reigned? What would that look like? Well, maybe grace towards each other? Maybe gentleness in how we interacted with our family, how we spoke to them? Maybe generosity? I mean, if you just take sort of one segment of just family, home sort of life, Let's just say money, finances. If the kingdom of God reigned over your checkbook, what would that look like? If the kingdom of God so infiltrated your, your home that Jesus was king there, I don't know. How, how, would, how would forgiveness be multiplied? How would parents and kids engage, talk to each other instead of just at each other? How would husbands and wives work together instead of against one another? I mean, can you picture it? What would it look like if the kingdom of God reigned in your home? Because if we are citizens of God's kingdom, then we have to ask questions like, what's happening in my home? Who is the ruler? Who's the king or queen of my home? Is it me? Is it my wife? Is it Jesus? What would it look like? How would it be different if Jesus came and reigned as ruler over my home? Maybe we can drill in even further. Maybe we can ask, what if the kingdom of God reigned in my life? Oh, home is one thing, but in some ways that's even more ambiguous. But how about your life? What if the kingdom of God really reigned in your 
life, you personally, what would that look like? Would that be different? If the kingdom of God, if Jesus was the ruler of your life, what would it look like? Less anxiety about the future? I don't know, less bitterness about the past? It's so easy to go, man, the world needs Jesus. Guess what? So do you, and so do I. We want to talk about changing the world. Man, what if Jesus just ruled in our lives? Because again, I don't know if a great revival or a great awakening is, is coming in my life, in our city, in our country. But I know that there can be revival in my heart. I know that there could be revival in my home if I let Jesus reign over my life. And, and, and I hear I hear what you could say to that. Oh, Jesus reigns in my life. I gave, him, I gave him my life a long time ago and he forgives my sins. Cool, that's great. I love that. But that's not the full picture. There's a difference between Jesus has forgiven my sins and Jesus and the kingdom of God reign in my life. Uh, let me show you. There's a couple of words, the way it's broken down in the New Testament, there's a couple of words that have helped me. Both of these words are ascribed to Jesus and they sort of help me what it know what the difference is between I've given my life to Jesus and Jesus really reigns over my life. And, and the words are, are savior, which means deliverer, and Lord. Now, now we love savior. Jesus has forgiven me of my sins and, and deliver. This means he delivered me on the cross, right? He delivered me from my sins. And that doesn't just mean forgiveness. It's fuller than that. Jesus, yes, has forgiven my sins, past, present, and future. He has delivered me from that. He has also delivered me from the wrath of God that was owed to me because of my sin. It's not just that Jesus has forgiven us, but he's actually taken on the punishment, the wrath of God. He has delivered us from that. We love that. Jesus is savior. But there's another word for Jesus in the New Testament. It's the word in Greek, kyrios. It means Lord. And you see, you hear people say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, as if it's just all one title. These are two very different words. This means I've surrendered my life to Jesus and he has forgiven me of, delivered me from my sins. Great. He's punched my ticket into heaven. That's fantastic. This word is different. The word Lord means a person to whom another one belongs. That's different. And when I say Jesus is Lord, that means everything in my life belongs to him. He rules, his kingdom rules over everything. And what do you do with a king? You submit everything to a king. So what would it look like for Jesus to really be Lord? For Jesus to really reign over your life? Man, for Jesus to reign over your anxiety? For Jesus to reign over your loneliness, over your addictions, over your pride, over your shame, over your sin. Part of, part of saying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth is saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in me, in my heart, in my life. What areas? I can't answer this for you, but I trust the Holy Spirit will show you. What areas of your life have you not let Jesus reign? I know maybe you've given your life to him. 
He's forgiven you of your sins. But are there areas of your life that you have not let the kingdom of God reign and the disruption of Ephesus is the same disruption that needs to happen in your heart where the kingdom of God takes over and reigns. I want to spend a couple minutes, just the last few minutes, looking at uh, something Paul says that it's helped me figure out what it means that God reigns in my life. If you got a Bible, flip over to Colossians chapter 3, just a little to your right, Colossians chapter 3, because I know for me, it's really hard to surrender control of my life See, I can pray it for you and I can believe that it's a good thing, but this idea that God is going to reign in my life and I'm not going to be the ruler of my life, that's really hard for me. And so Paul has written something here that's helped me understand why it's such a good thing that God's kingdom reigns in my life. And your homework assignment is to read these verses this week. And so make yourself a note. There's no like the dog ate my homework. Like you gotta read these verses. They're important. Read these verses this week. Colossians 3 verse 15 says this. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Peace. When the kingdom of God reigns in your life, there is peace. Did you notice what happens in Ephesus with this riot? Who's rioting? It's not the Christ followers. It's the other people. Because the kingdom of God is peace. It's not frantic. It's not chaos. It's peace. And this word right here, let, is about making a conscious decision to say, God, come and reign. God, come and rule in my life. God, bring peace. God's not going to force his way into your life. He doesn't work like that. But trusting God, as hard as it is to give up control and to say, I'm not going to reign my life, but I'm going to let God do it. Trusting God is about Peace, following God is peace. If you're not experiencing peace in some area of your life, it's probably a sign that you're not letting God rule over that part of your life, that the kingdom of God is not in charge of that part of your life, but you are. And you need to let go. And you need to let God and his kingdom reign. Look at the next verse. Verse 16 says, let the message of Christ Dwell among you richly the hope and joy and promise of the message, the good news of Christ, to dwell in your hearts and among you richly as you teach and admonish, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Do you see what Paul does here? You see how he drops the Trinity in here? Why is he doing that? Because he's saying, when you let the kingdom of God reign in your life, you get the fullness of God. All of God comes and engages in your life. When you let the kingdom of God reign, you get the, the mercy and the grace of the Son. You get the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You get the love of God the Father. God withholds nothing. If you will say, God, would you reign over my life? He comes in his fullness for you. He delivers in all that he has, withholding nothing. To say, I love you, he gives you his full self to you. If you will let him reign. One more verse it says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, 
Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This just helped me. Because when you have a king, when you have a Lord, you do everything. Everything is, is submitted to a king, to your Lord. Nothing is apart from him. Even if it disrupts what you want, you submit everything to him. Everything belongs to him. And it sounds scary to surrender that. But what would change if you invited the kingdom of God to reign over everything? Your workplace, your school, your home, your life. I know it's hard, but look how God talks about it comes with praise and joy and peace. One more thought, and then again, do the homework of reading these verses. The idea of letting God reign in your life, man, this should encourage you. Thinking about God's kingdom reigning because God's kingdom is good, because he's good. And this idea should probably challenge you and probably should convict you because there's ways you've let God reign in your life. And there's ways that you've chosen to remain king or queen. There's ways that you've said, God, take, take this aspect of my life. And there's ways that you've said, God, this part of my life, this is mine. Sorry, hands off. And today, you need to say, here it is, God. God, here's my brokenness. Here's my pride. Here's my money. Here's my anxiety. Here's my relationships. Here's my sexuality. Here's everything, God. Would you reign? Would you come, God, and disrupt the status quo? The way I've been holding on to everything, God, would you come and would you reign? Here it is. And it's scary to do that, but... What God promises is his fullness and peace. Our Father and our God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth that you give us. Thankful for your peace that wants to reign and rule in our lives and our homes. And God, we walk into this and we know it's messy because it's really hard to surrender control. God, there are parts of my life that I don't want you to reign over because I don't, I won't like how you're going to rule. There's parts of my life I don't want to give up because I don't like where you're going to lead me. And God, it's really hard for us to open our hands and say, here it is. It belongs to you. Jesus, would you come and reign? God, would you help us to surrender to you? Would you help us to know that when we trust you and follow you, there's peace, there's joy, there's praise. God, would you disrupt the status quo in our hearts and our homes? God, there are homes here. There are families here. They're hanging on by a thread. 
And if they'd let you come and reign, they would go from death to life. They would move to, not that there wouldn't be any struggle, but they would at least move to peace. God, even in our hearts, we we're experiencing such great anxiety and being overwhelmed by things. If we would trust you, if we would let you reign, there would be peace. So God, come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.